what God has said. Um, we started out first week talking about happiness, and I, and I want to clarify, uh, because I don't want you to think that God's about you being miserable. Um, that's never what God's intention was, but what the Bible says is where we're going to claim our stake. Where the Bible speaks is where we're going to speak. And the Bible, um, why it never says we want you to be miserable, it, it never comes out and says your happiness is the very utmost importance to the Lord. In fact, it doesn't say your happiness is of the utmost importance, but the call for the Christian isn't happiness, it's holiness. God's not concerned with us being happy before he's concerned with us being holy. But let me remind you that, that Jesus himself said, I have come that you may have life. And if Christ has come so that you may have life, then he's not about you walking around with your lip poked out being miserable all the time. But he, he's about you enjoying the life that he's given you, but not above your holiness. He's never compromised on holiness. So the second week, we began to look uh, through the Bible at, at what the text taught us when it came to, to some more false doctrines, and especially coming to the realm that, that says that God won't give you more than what you can bear. And we talked about that. And we talked about how, how if we put our comfort and, and our ability to be strong above the Lord, then we're going to be let down. Uh, because remember, all of the disciples died. Murdered. All of them. You say, well, John wasn't murdered. He was sent to the island of Patmos to die. That was no vacation. All of them were brutally treated. And so if that's the case, then what we began to discuss is maybe the Bible never said that God wouldn't give us more than what we could handle. That passage out of 2 Corinthians says that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, temptation and your actual struggles are different things. In fact, it goes on to say the apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He tells them that when temptation shows up, God will open a window for you to escape. Because God's about your holiness. He's about you being like his son, Jesus. And so he's not interested in how strong you can be, but rather he wants you to be reliant. In fact, Jesus tells us that we must decrease. Now, those are counterintuitive words to the lie that the world sells that God will never give you more. Because when we start implying that you have strength, when we start saying that, that we're strong, the Bible says, the Bible says that when we become strong, failure or falling is close behind. In fact, one of the greatest stories of the Bible is often unread. Most people don't know it. The story of King Uzziah. Uh, we're going to preach this story in a couple of weeks. I, I'm excited as we get ready to launch into another series in a couple of weeks. But we're going to launch into this. And we're going to talk about a guy named King Uzziah. I think it's about six weeks from now. King Uzziah was a man who God blessed significantly. And the Bible says, until he was strong. When we become reliant on our own strength and our own abilities, we're no longer reliant on the Lord. Brings us to today. God never said that it didn't matter what we did. God never said that a sin was okay as long as there wasn't a victim. God never said those things. 
He's never compromised on sin. He's never changed his mind on sin. God's always had the same idea about sin. It's always been wrong. It was wrong in the Old Testament. It was wrong in the New Testament. He killed his son for it, so he's not changing his mind on it. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. This is a long text today, so I'm going to help you by kind of paraphrasing the first couple of verses there, and then we will stand and read. Now remember Joshua is, is the the predecessor of Moses and he comes on he's now leading the children of Israel and you remember they were gracious people they were real humble and um, they were always complaining and they they were probably they probably would have been great Baptists right like they were always complaining they were always hungry now, they wanted something to drink they, they didn't like water they got tired of the water they got tired of the manna they they just complained it's hot so God put God put a, a covering over them so so they wouldn't get hot and then they said at night it gets awful dark at night it's dark and we're scared. So God lit the sky by fire. He met every need they had. He, they, he saw, they saw Moses go up with me and meet with God. Now don't, don't overlook. When, when, when you go meet with God on the mountain and you come back down and your face is shining like the sun. I'm not talking about the brother had a good tan. I'm talking about he had been with Jesus and his face had a light about it. I'm talking something incredible that they had experienced with the Lord. They've seen God's provision. We're talking about the people when God split the earth and split the sea they walked through on dry land. We're, we're talking about the people back in Egypt who saw the plagues, who saw the frogs, who saw the water turn to blood, who saw the path. They saw when all of those Egyptian people were, were killed through passage. They saw all of it. They've seen the hand of God move. And here they are in Joshua. Moses has died because Moses was sinful. God said, speak to the rock, Moses hit the rock. So God told Moses, you'll never see the promised land. You'll never enter. He goes up and sees it and God buries him up there. Joshua takes over. Now Joshua's in charge. Joshua's now leading the children of Israel and they, they are, I'm talking, they are a force to be reckoned with. Everybody, they come up on, they roll them. Like, like the, you know, when, sometimes your favorite football team, they have these off weeks where they play junior colleges. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about just rolling them. I'm, the children of it, they were they were walking through the wilderness. They they get across and and they've just been rolling the pagans. I mean, it's just, God's been on display. His power has been on display. They are just a force to be reckoned with. They come up to uh, the river. They've got to cross the river in the ark of the covenant. This beautiful picture of God's sovereignty, of God's grace, of God's goodness is displayed there. But they come up on Jericho. They come up on the the city and town of Jericho. And while they come up to this great city, this, this city was, was fortified with walls that couldn't be breached. This city was protected by an army. They, they, they had, the, the people of Jericho, the architects of the city, had, had thought in, in such a well-devised city, they were impenetrable. You couldn't get to them. And you remember the story. You, you, you remember God came to Joshua and they told him, hey, Hey, walk around that city for se seven days, and, and you're going to do it seven times. And he says, on the last day, you're going to walk around it, and then you're going to blow trumpets, and you're going to shout. And when you shout, that wall is going to fall. That wall that you haven't been able to get into, 
that wall of brick and mortar that you can't penetrate, it's going to fall to the ground. And now listen, I know, I know. I, I, I empathize with those children because they're hearing this going, huh, you mean that wall just going to fall? Like as Joshua's telling them, and folks are like, come on now. We might have been born at night. You know, it wasn't last night though. But they're faithful because they've seen God do some incredible things. They're faithful because they've seen God move mountains. So they sit there and they're faithful and they don't speak and they walk around that bad boy seven times. And, and the folks in, in Jericho, boy, they're having a time. They're out there watching these Hebrews walk around. They're laughing at them. What are y'all doing? Y'all just going to march around here all day? We're fine in here. They're partying inside the walls of Jericho. Boy, they're, they're drunk and they, they're getting after it. Now on that seventh day when they blew them horns and they all shouted. What do you think they started, what do you think those, those Jericho folks started thinking when that wall started shaking? What do you think them Israelites thought when that wall started shaking? Boy, they, here we go. He's going to do it again. Jericho was one of the most powerful cities of the day. Here the army of the Lord walks up. And without, they don't have tanks. They can't just break down the wall. They don't have the machinery that we have. If we were going to destruct a wall today, we'd do it a little different, right? I'd call Mickey and Wayne and I'd tell them, hey, we got a job to do, right? And I can't tell you the type of stuff they'd show up with because it'd be illegal. But we'd get that wall down. You don't worry about that. First century, or predating Christ, and we're talking thousands of years before Jesus they don't have that technology. They, they haven't learned what dynamite was, right? So they see that wall crumble. And remember, they've been drunken, partying, laughing at the Israelites inside. They're not ready to fight. The wall comes down, and it's a massacre. God's people cleansed the city of Jericho. But God had given the people of Jericho a, a specific order. A specific order. Go in and purge the place. We want you to kill everybody because sin was rampant. They didn't serve God. He, God was about cleansing the land. He's purifying the people. He said all of the evilness, get rid of it, even down to the livestock. He said, we're not even going to take their cattle. We're not going to take the pigs. We ain't taking none of it. We'll leave everything there. He said, don't take jewelry. He said, don't take the gold, the silver, nothing. He said, leave it there. Don't take it. Joshua chapter 7 starts off, and we, we learn of a young man named Achan. We learn of a young man named Achan in Joshua chapter 7. And it says he was part of the Lord's army. He saw the wall fall. He saw it fall. He saw the graciousness of the Lord on display, the power of God. He knew the Lord's command. He watched it fall, and he's part of the Lord's army. He goes in, he's protected by the gracious, sovereign creator of the world. He goes in and does the job he's been asked to do. But after they're victorious, when you read verses 1 through 9, what you see is Achan saw a coat. Saw that coat laying on the ground and, and they, you know, they killed the owner. It said his heart coveted. The Bible says his heart coveted. His heart saw something and thought, you know what? That coat right there looks better than that one I got on. 
that coat right there looks looks warm right and then as we do with sin like I, and this isn't in the Bible I'm just guessing as we often do we begin justifying sin don't we you know, it's going to get cold next winter I don't have a coat I could probably use a coat I bet God want me to get that coat I should get the, I'm going to get that coat and he gets that coat and then it well look at there there's silver on the ground you know we're poor my kids need a coat ain't nobody ain't nobody's money we killed them I'm going to get that silver. He gets the silver, then he goes, well, look at that, there's some gold underneath that silver. Well, I got the silver, I can buy the coat, but you know, they may need a coat in a couple years. I may need to buy a lamb. When we get to this place, I may have to build a house. God wants us in a big house. God wants us to have all of this stuff, so I'm just going, I'm going to get, I ain't going to tell nobody though. And so Achan takes what the Lord told him to leave. So that they, they finish in Jericho and they go into the next town and as Joshua was accustomed, he sent out scouts to go survey the next town. Little town, little, little, little bump in the road, kind of like Palmerdale. Ain't a whole lot there. Little Mexican restaurant, right? That, that's all they had. Little, little town of Ai. Ain't a whole lot there. Didn't even have Winn-Dixie. Jax hadn't even got there yet. You know what I'm saying? A little small town. The scouts come back and they tell Joshua, they're like, hey, listen, there ain't no point. The children of Israel were almost a million strong. There's no point in, in us getting the whole group and go over there. there. There are a couple thousand folks, so we'll take a couple thousand. We'll handle that. That'll be a little, little bump in the road. It'll, it'll be you know, an expedition for our folks. We'll, we'll put the young guns out there. We'll put in the B team, right? This isn't even going to be a fight. It'll be real short. We'll be back before lunch. Go ahead and get the food on the table kind of stuff. So Joshua sends two to 3,000 soldiers down to Ai to go, go handle that because it ain't supposed to be nothing. But when they get down there for the first time, for the first time in the journey, God's favor wasn't on the people. For the first time, God had removed his grace and his mercy from the Israelite army. And that two or 3,000 people village whooped the Israelites I'm talking about sent them running like a scolded dog had them run had them in defeat had them running so far they ran past their camp and just kept going had them defeated to the point that they were just absolutely embarrassed by this small village of Ai when Joshua hears of the news of what had happened he rips his clothes because he realized at that point they're no longer in the favor of the Lord. They've lost God's ability. They, they, they've lost God's provision. They've lost God's guidance. They've lost God's protection. He rips his clothes and we find him in verse 10. He's prostrate on the ground, weeping because he's realized along the way, sin has crept in. Before I get you to stand and we read these 16 verses here in Joshua, I want to read you Jeremiah 16, verse 17. Jeremiah 16, verse 17 says this. It says, For my eyes are on all of their ways, 
They're not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Can we today agree God knows you? Can we today agree God sees that sin you're trying to hide from people? If you've got your place in Joshua chapter 7, if you will stand for the holy reading of God's word. In Joshua chapter 7, we'll pick up in verse 10. Now remember, he's, he's on the ground. He's laying, crying out to the Lord. Uh, verse 10, the Lord says to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I've commanded them, and they've taken of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their belonging, along their belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted, devoted for destruction. God says, I'll be with you no more. Aren't those scary words? He says, I'll be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. He tells Joshua, he says, get up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribes that the Lord take by lot shall come near by the clans. And the clans that the Lord takes shall come near by the household. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And, and he who is taken will be devoted with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. And all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And because he has done this outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clan of Judah, and the clan of the, Zer the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me now what you've done. Do not hide them from me. Verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua. He says, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, the 200 shekels of silver and the bars of gold weighing 50 shekels. It says, then I coveted them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. Behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent. They brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bars of gold, and his sons and his daughters and all of his oxen, the donkeys and the sheep of his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Anchor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. And they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. 
and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of this place is called the Valley of Anchor. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of your word. Father, I am able and I am not qualified to preach your word, but we pray over our time together, over these few remaining moments we have, you would apply this word to our souls. Now, may we understand that every sin has a consequence. May we understand that there's no hidden thing from you. And may we be quick to repent. It's in the name of Christ that I ask all of these things. Amen. You may be seated. There's no such creature as a a victimless sin. There's no such thing as a sin that God doesn't see. In fact, when you sin, your sin can be costly to the whole body. Your sin can be costly to the whole body. Look at what happens when we start thinking of Achan and the children of Israel. Your sin can be costly, number one, because, because we're all accountable for one another. We're all accountable for one another. You, if you have sin, it's my obligation, according to the Bible, to come walk with you through that. It's my obligation as, as a believer, not as a pastor, as a believer, to help you, to walk with you, to be able to come up. You're saying, I come up blame, but like, like, I see this in your life, brother. You got, you got some sin here. I gotta, it's my obligation to him to, to walk with him through that, to, to point him to Christ. It's my responsibility, not as a pastor, not as his pastor, as a believer, as a child of God. This is, came to me through the call of the New Testament church that when we see sin, when we recognize sin, that we're responsible. So we are accountable one to another. So I am, it's my responsibility to walk with people through their faith, not because of my title, but because of my position to Christ. So he tells, as, as believers, we're, we're accountable, and when one person sins, it affects the whole body. If, if, if I walk up to you with my pocket knife, it's about as sharp as a butter knife, and I poke you, especially on the fingertip. Well, you ever get a paper cut right there? And that's, that's some of the worst stuff. Oh, my goodness. I'm a sissy, I know. When you affect part of the body, the whole body's affected. You don't just cut off a finger and be like, hey, you know, that finger's gone, but hey, that foot's still good, let's go. No, your whole body's affected. When, when sin comes into one portion of the body, the, the whole body's affected. And not only are we accountable one to another, remember what James 5, 16 says. It says, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we're, we're, we're to confess it. When we realize sins in our life, we, we confess it because we're accountable, because we don't want to affect the whole body. So we begin to confess it. Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you, are, you should spiritually restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted to bear one another's burdens and so fulfilled the law of Christ. We, we walk with each other. This, this journey was never meant to be alone. God's never called you to be a long ranger. He's always called you to be, to be part of the body of Christ. God wants you to be accountable and to be held accountable to the brothers in Christ. So your sin, that, that sin that you may be hiding, that sin that, that, that's gripped you and you struggle with it, it can be just as damaging to the whole body 
as it is you. God's judgment on your sin can affect the whole body. God's judgment on your sin that nobody knows about, that sin that that you hadn't told anybody about, that sin you've been wrestling with, God's judgment on that sin could affect our whole body because when God's judgment comes, it's normally pretty effective to the whole group. Case in point, Achan stole and 36 men died. Achan stole a dead man's belongings. Ain't no dead man going to report to the police, you stole the stuff. Ain't no dead man going to call out to God, who took my silver? It seemingly didn't matter to anyone, but God had said, don't touch it. God said, don't take it. His sin cost 36 Israelites their lives. Your sin matters not just to you. Your sin will affect more people than just you. That's why, that's why John tells us in 1 John, he, he says, let sin not even be mentioned among you. As believers in Christ, as those who have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Sin shouldn't be mentioned among you. But it, it doesn't just affect the whole body. It gets personal. It gets personal. As you begin to, to look at your family, your family's name, how your sin affects your family legacy, what people think about your whole family. Can you imagine being of the tribe of Judah? You're of the tribe of Judah, and Joshua's coming, and God's going to appoint lots. And those leaders of that tribe were sitting there, and that lot fell on them. Can you imagine the despair that hit them? That somebody of their lineage, somebody of their clan, somebody holding their name was responsible for not only the defeat of Ai, but also for the loss of life? Can you imagine the peering eyes that they caught from the other, the other 11 tribes? Can you imagine the despair that came upon them? That, hey, somebody's sin in our family has brought us to this place. Because when we start thinking about someone's sin what we begin to know is, is, is that our sin brings guilt on our whole family. Our sin will bring guilt to, to the whole family. These people, they're watching, and they're, they're seeing this unfold, and all the tribes are gathered. Everybody's there, and they're in their sections. They're, they're, in, their, they're in their corridors of, of, of the family, depending on what tribe they're in. And, and all of a sudden, the light falls on on the people of Judah. And so, so Joshua goes to the people of Judah and he's going to, he's going to zoom in because he's got he's to narrow this down. Of the tribe of Judah, there's, there's thousands and thousands of men and he's going to narrow it down to one person. So he begins family by family walking through. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the despair when, when the lot fell on old grandpappy? When the lot fell on Zerah, and they pointed to him, and they they said, it's of your house. Now, not only are all of the other tribes looking at you, but now all the people from inside your tribe are looking at you, and you've brought shame across your whole family name. You've brought guilt, but you've also brought shame. You see... We, very lightly, 
Like we always talk about the uncle that we all have, right? We, we, we all have some family members that we're just not real proud of. And if you don't have those, well, you may be that one. Um, we've all got some family members that we look at and go, Ugh. Right? Some folks we don't tell that, that we're kin to them because they probably owe the people we're talking to money. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all got some of that? Some of y'all look at me like, you ain't got them. I got a couple of them. In fact, I got a couple that probably owe y'all money. Um, we should be about the purification of our family. When people think of your family, and I'm not talking about just your nuclear home. We'll get to that in just a second. But I'm talking about when people think of your family as a whole. There should be pride that wells up in you. There should be an admiration that wells up in you. And in this type of the century, in this time period, your family name was all you had. Your family name, your lineage was of the utmost importance. And yet here we find Achan. He brought guilt to his family and he has shamed his name. You know what the fear in shaming your name is? You've only got one name. You've only got one name. When people think of your name, what do they think about? When people think about who you are, who your family is, what do they think about? When they, when they think of your name, do, do they think, oh my goodness, that, that's just some of the greatest family in all the world. Or they think of your name and go, I don't know about them. I don't know about them. I always try to lay claim. I, I always tell people my name's Jeff Oates, and they look at me real funny, and I go, you know, like Holland Oates. Well, like, none of these folks right here know who that is. Like, we're, we're past that. Like, they're like, Holland, is that a cereal? What is that? Like, right? They don't know what that, what that is, right? Like, Nelson just like, what are you talking about? Holland Oates. It's a band. It's a, well, they, they rocked in the 80s, all right? Right? 80s, that was a good generation. Anyway, I always like, try to lay claim. Oh, you're kin to them? Oh, no. Oh, no. Now they got money. We give to them, right? Your name and your lineage, it should, it should make pride about you because you're consecrated to the Lord. And yet we all have these cousins and uncles I'm talking about that we don't correspond with because we're kind of ashamed of them. When it should be our responsibility because the gospel has come to us to walk with them. No one is outside of God's reconciliation. No one's outside of God's forgiveness. And if the gospel came to you, remember, it came to you on its way to someone else. Don't let the gospel end with you. But it not only affected their namesake, not only was all of Achan's grandpappies and uncles and cousins there, and, and they were just as affected as they were, but God's judgment zoomed in on the family of Achan. God's judgment came to the family. Remember, there, there's no victim here. There's no victim here. No one is standing up and saying, He stole my money. No one. But look at how it affected Aiken's family. Everybody was guilty. Here's the thing about sin. Even a sin you've got in private. It, 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 in the home, in, in your house, under the, under the roof that, that you're at, it normally doesn't stay a secret long. Even the best of sins come out and the, the family begins to know when, when you've got a family member that's got some drug, those things come out, those things come to be, you've got a family that gets into stealing, you begin to know. 
And what did the family do? Achan shows back up to the tent. He's got an armload of gold, silver, and a new jacket. I guarantee you that family helped him dig the hole in which they hid the silver in. They were all guilty. They're all guilty. And here's what we'll say. In fact, I've heard people say this so many times. Well, you know, that sin don't affect me, so I don't guess I'll bother with it. Well, I can't affect, I can't, I can't help what they're doing. Well, you know, you know, just bless their heart, right? We'll give them that type of language. When it would have been much better if when Achim walked in and laid this stuff down and go, boy, look what I just got into. We rich now. Baby, don't worry about getting that great value stuff. Go ahead and get high on that hog, right? When he walked in with all of this stuff, because everyone knew what God had said. God told him, you will take Jericho, but don't take anything from it. Don't take anything from it. Everybody knew that was the plan. Everybody knew that was the call. And yeah, when he walked back in and he had armloads of gold and silver, and, and that jacket goes, look at my new jacket. I bet he put it on. What y'all think? He put it on, walked around like he was sporting off a $100 bill. You know what I'm talking about? New, new jacket he had. I, he, he hid it inside the tank. We're going to put this here because, you know, we ain't supposed to have it. You know, this story would have been different if his children would have said, you know, Daddy, God told us don't take anything, Jericho. I, I, you need to repent. Story would have been different. But here we have people who have hidden treasure that they weren't supposed to have. And it costs the whole family, because God's wrath was impartial. God's wrath was impartial. Achan goes before Joshua. And he stands before Joshua, and Joshua says, Son, don't lie to today. He says, give, give praise to Jesus today. Give praise to God Almighty today. Tell us what you've done. And he begins to tell. Because the first thing we can do to get right with the Lord is confession. He began to confess his sin. He said, I saw that jacket. I saw that money. My heart coveted. My heart desired. It was more than, hey, it'd be nice if I had that. You know, we see a car riding down the road. We'll be like, hey, that's nice. That's nice. Now, what's the difference between liking something and coveting? We've got to be careful because they'll, they'll blend together. Like I, I'd really like a new, well, a new old car. I'd really like it. One, of, one of them classic Camaros. I'm talking about with a, enough horsepower to just leave rubber everywhere I go. You know what I'm talking about? One of them that every police officer around here would know my name. You know what I'm talking about? From liking to covet, when I start looking at my neighbor's car and going, you know, he leaves keys underneath the floor mat. I can get that thing. When my heart goes from, hey, that'd be, that'd be fun to have one day, to it consumes me. Or like Aiken, when we begin to take sinful steps, to acquire, we have went from a healthy appreciation to something to sin. God's wrath was impartial, so they bring forth the whole family, the kids, the wife, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, the tent, the whole thing. And with all of the people of Israel gathered, it says they stoned them with stones. And then they burned them. And then they stoned them again. You say, well, that, that, there's no victim. There, there's no one there that said, that was my stuff. 
God's serious about sin. He's serious about holiness. He's never said, do whatever makes you happy. He's never said, do whatever makes you comfortable. He's never said that. He's always said, purify your heart and mind. He's always called you for sanctification. The Apostle Paul says, it's the will of God for the believer to grow up, to sanctify their hearts, to sanctify their minds. It's the will of the Father to grow up. We can't devote ourselves to thinking God has changed his mind on sin. Because he hasn't. If God changed his mind on sin, then why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross because he knew you had sin that you couldn't pay for. He went to the cross because he knew there's no chance that this bunch of rednecks from Jefferson Blount County, wherever you hail from, ain't no way them folks going to heaven. They're not, hey, they, they can't keep the law. They can't be perfect. So there ain't no way they're going to heaven. So I got to go get them. Christ went to the cross, died for your sins, so that you could have life free of the bonds and chains of sin. Every sin you commit matters. Is that one that nobody knows about yet? Because let me remind you, if you've got a sin that you're hiding, it's only days before it's exposed. God's never let you dwell in your sin and leave you there without exposing it or eventually turning you over to it. Don't let sin creep in and dwell among you. It affects all of us. Your sin can be damning to this church, to your family, to your house. Don't let your sin grab hold. Remember what we read. Remember what we read out of Jeremiah. For my eyes, this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. For my eyes are on all of their ways. That word in, in Hebrew, all, means the same thing as it does in English. All, every bit of it. My eyes are on all of their ways. They're not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity, nor is that sin concealed from my eyes. What you do in the privacy of your own home, what you do in the privacy of your own bedroom, what you're doing on the privacy of your own smartphone is not hidden from the Lord. He sees your sin. He sees your sin. He's calling you today to repent. He's calling you today to repent. And listen, that, that repentance word, we, we've kind of dumbed that down to saying, I'm sorry. That, that repentance word's a lot more than I'm sorry. Repent in, in the Greek, it, it, re, that return, pent to the top. It, it's return to holiness. Set these things out of your life. Remove these things from your spirit. Let your heart be consecrated, given over, consumed by the Lord. It's more than an I'm sorry. It's more than an oh, I feel bad. Because most of us only feel bad because we got caught. It's about giving our lives, our, our hope, our trust over to God Almighty and letting Him restore us. Because when Joshua gets Achan and all of that sin out, they go back to that little town of Ai. They go back to where they took that whooping. And the children of Israel rolled that city with a no contest. 
because they were back in God's favor. Today, what's holding you back from God's favor? Galatians tells us that we fall from grace. That doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, but your sin can place you outside of good standing with the Lord. Today, what has placed you there? What's keeping you there? Because listen, I know there's a tempter. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. It's not God. It's Satan. He's the great tempter. He knows you. He knows when you're weak. He knows what will trip you. And he's about you falling. Because if he can get you unuseful, he's got you right where he wants you. Today, what's that sin you've been hanging on to? For some of us, man, it, it may be so personal. If we begin to utter it out loud, it would just send chills down our spine. For some of us, that sin is that we've never accepted Christ. You're here today, and you, you as lost as the day is long. You know it. Come today and get that fixed. Don't Listen, we prayed. We prayed this morning on this altar that, that, that you would hear the words of the Lord, not my words. My words can't save you. My words can't help you at all. You would hear a word from the Lord, God Almighty. And you'd respond to his holiness. If that's by salvation, then come get saved. Not one day have I ever regretted following Jesus. It's not always easy. I'm not always comfortable, and not every day is full, filled with happiness. But every day is filled with the promise of the Lord that no matter what comes at me, I've got Jesus by my side. What are you hanging on to? What's keeping you down? What shackles have you chained up to where you can't serve a mighty God? I'm going to pray. And if you need to come down like I did this morning, I started this day on this altar because I knew the message I was fixing to preach, and I know I've got sin that I'm dealing with. I'm not better than you just because they put a strap of mic to my fat head doesn't mean I'm more holy or righteous. I've got sin that I struggle with every single day. If you've got sin you need to deal with, it's old-fashioned altar. Oh, but what if they look at me? Let them look. What if they talk about me in the parking lot? Let them talk. That's their sin, not yours. You're not responsible for what people think of you. You're not responsible for how people react. You're responsible for your relationship with the Father. That should be of the utmost importance. So if you need to come down here to an old-fashioned altar and do business with the Lord, confessing and allow Him to work in you, maybe you're just today, and man, you're so backward, but you don't even know what's in to confess. Ask the Lord to start showing you. And as you start seeking righteousness, oh, I promise you, God's going to show you some sins. When you start calling out to the Lord, reveal those evil deeds in me, He's faithful, my friend. He may show you more than you're looking for. You do business with the Lord. We have to consecrate our hearts. The Lord said to Joshua, prepare for tomorrow we consecrate. May our hearts be consecrated today. May we fall down in an old-fashioned altar and do business with the Lord. If you need to accept Christ, you need to join our church, maybe you can do that. I'm going to pray when I say amen. Musicians going to be up here. You do what you need to do. If you need to go find somebody, go pray with You do what you need to do today to walk out your salvation more clearly and less contained with sin. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the, the power that we're praying in today. And we're asking, God, that you would have a work here, that, Father, you would do business here. Father, none of us are separated and alienated from sin, but it's always entangling us and trying to 
keep us down. So we pray today that we would hear the story of Achan and how you took one man's sin and crippled the whole nation, and we would start to be concerned with those issues in our own lives and in our own hearts. Father, that we would be quick to confess. Thank you that when we come to you in repentance, Father, you're quick to repent. You tell us you cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. You don't hold them back. You don't hold them over us. You don't begrudge us with them. When we release those to you for forgiveness, you are faithful to remove them from our lives. So, Father, I pray over every child of God in here today, Father, that you would allow them to review their heart. Father, that you would allow them to take survey. They would look at their neighbor as they're measuring but Father, they would look at Jesus Almighty today and say, am I walking like Jesus or am I walking in sin? And God, that you would work in them for, uh, to allow repentance to come. Father, we are entrusting you. If there's somebody in here that don't know you today, Father, that they would fall in love with Jesus and that they would come to him for salvation. Father, we ask that you would do a God-sized work in this room. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.